It's our 500th episode of Sports Business Radio. We've done local and national radio, and we've done a television show. Over the last six years, we've talked to some pretty big guests. 500 episodes and six years of talking with the people who call the shots. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us this week on a monumental edition of Sports Business Radio. As you heard, it is our 500th episode. I never thought we'd make it to 50, much less 500. So very happy to be here, uh, happy to be part of a great team here at Sports Business Radio. And what we want to do during this show is look back at some of our fondest moments over the past 500 episodes. And we've got some funny moments. We do a segment called Caught in the Crosslights because I'm a PR consultant, and it's looking at our PR nightmare of the week. And back in 2005, we had the king of all Caught in the Crosslights, and it will make you laugh hysterically. Very, very funny stuff. But we also have talked to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. We talk to the people who live and breathe the sports world every single week on this show. And you're going to hear from some of the athletes that we've spoken with and get some insight from them. You're going to hear from owners and you're going to hear from coaches. These are the people living it and breathing it every single week. And instead of calling other reporters, we do that from time to time. We've always tried to go to the people pulling the trigger on the deals, making the big decisions. And that's what I think sets this show apart from any other sports show in the nation. And we appreciate your support over the last 500 episodes. You've listened to our podcast. It's one of the top podcasts on iTunes. We have a worldwide following. I get emails from all over the world every week from other countries. We get emails from people who work in the sports industry. And it's very, very flattering. And we hope that we're able to bring you another 500 episodes of Sports Business Radio in the future. I hope you enjoy this edition of Sports Business Radio. And again, we're going to share with you some of our fondest memories, maybe a few bloopers mixed in, from the past 500 editions of Sports Business Radio. Enjoy the show, and we'll talk to you next week with a regular edition of Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. It's the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry. The Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. 
The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Brian Berger and the 500th episode of Sports Business Radio. We're asking the staff of SBR to look back on the last six years and 500 episodes. What are your thoughts, Bobby Corser? Six years, 500 episodes. As the executive producer, I've sat through and heard each and every single interview. And why I have my favorites, you know, love the fact that we finally got to talk to Jack and Nicholas. Love the fact that we've had, you know, incredible access to David Stern. We've had incredible access to a lot of high-powered people. You know, some of the kind of crazier, smaller name guests that we've had, you know, they've pitched us and we brought them on the show because they bring an interesting angle. And, you know, those are kind of the quirky ones and we've had a lot and, not, you know, some favorite memories that I don't need to bring up. But, you know, the thing I'm going to miss most about the show is definitely working with the staff here. Brian's been great as a great host and, you know, he's been a great friend. Same with Nathan. I mean, I can turn to these guys and rely on them for anything and they're always there. They have my back and, you know, I hope they feel the same way about me. And as I kind of prepare to step aside after six years and 500 episodes, I'm really going to kind of miss, you know, our day-to-day friendship. I'm not stepping away completely, but that's definitely one thing I'm going to miss. But the fun part as being executive producer is I kind of get to call the shots. I'm the one that kind of gets to push the buttons, and uh, I'm the one that makes everybody sound good because, you know, we all have our moments here on the show, and we'll hear one or two little flubs that we've had, and, you know, that's what makes the show fun adheres to what they want don't bite the mouth that fed you years ago you got to stick with them and i really hope you guys enjoy this special edition of sports business radio so on sports business radio we have specialized segments and one of our specialized segments is called caught in the crosslights and because i specialize in public relations i'm a pr expert uh we talk about the pr nightmares of the week in the world of sports and it seems like every single week an athlete or an executive is getting themselves in trouble, whether it's with the law, whether it's with performance-enhancing drugs, or just doing something downright stupid. Back in 2005, the king of all caught-in-the-crosslights occurred, and we've had some doozies. This one beat out the Minnesota Vikings' sex cruise, if you remember that back in 2005. I don't know what it was about 2005, but lots of interesting things happening then in a, a plethora of caught-in-the-crosslights to choose from. But Kirk Reynolds, who was the head of PR for the San Francisco 49ers, put together a video, a training video, to show the team what not to do and how you should deal with the media. And this backfired on Kirk Reynolds and the San Francisco 49ers organization in a big way. This caught in the crosslights was back in 2005 when Keith Foreman was co-hosting the show with me. Take a listen. For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights. Crosslights. So this nightmare was discovered earlier this week, and it, it involves the San Francisco 49ers, and it has to do with their now former PR director named Kirk Reynolds. And Kirk Reynolds, about a year or so ago, put together a videotape 
that was designed to be shown to the 49er players. And spared no expense in doing so, by oh, the way. Oh, absolutely not. We'll give you the details of where you can see this thing as well. But um, this tape was designed to, to share with the players the do's and the don'ts of how to work with the media, how to interact with the general public, and just how to overall be a good representative for the 49ers. Now, Brian, you are intimately aware familiar with this type of videotape this is what you do teams hire you to do this type of work right and i have never put together anything even closely resembling the video that this guy put together but the most amazing thing and we'll get into the details of what this video is all about is that it was made a year ago right in january former general manager and i believe president of the 49ers terry donahue showed this video uh, to upper man or to the owner or to the to owner John York right York was so blown away it was part of I think why Terry Donahue was fired well up until now Reynolds the PR director still had his job and Reynolds claims that Donahue leaked this video to the media which is now available for your viewing on San Francisco SF sfgate.com which is the online component to well, the San Francisco and Chronicle. And how this all happened this week is all of a sudden uh, there's some reporters sitting around the San Francisco Chronicle and lo and behold they have this 15 minute video on their desk and they're like hey what's this and what it was is an off color video with racial jokes, lesbian porn, a spoof of gay marriage and a trio of buxom topless Blondes frolicking. Now I'm quoting the San Francisco Chronicle in that description. Okay, let me go back to the beginning. This is a tape prepared by an NFL director of PR. Right. Public relations. This is the department within a front office that handles the image of a team. Well, and is telling the players the do's and don'ts of dealing with the media and paying attention to your image. So let's play a cut from uh, some of this videotape. Now, wait, let me just set right. this up. The, the funny thing about this is not only did Kirk Reynolds produce this video, he starred in the video. And he portrayed, I'm the mayor of San Francisco for the day. So he's going around different parts of San Francisco. And whether it's the city jail, whether it's Chinatown, uh, whether it's the team locker room in the shower, but he is the star of the video. So, you know, a lot of times you're not in your own media training video. Well, this guy is. And here is one of the clips that uh, he's trying to provide some advice in the video. Be responsible for your actions. Everything you do and say is being covered by the media. Carol Lawrence found that out just recently. You know, everything you say is being covered. What you do and say is not only a reflection of yourself, it's also a reflection of the San Francisco 49ers. Now, this guy needs to see a video on what he should do and not do. Because those female voices in the background, those are hired women. Naked. Naked. Frolicking. Frolicking. I can't even imagine the budget this guy got to go out and shoot all the scenes that are throughout this video, hire all the women who you hear in the background there, there's another scene where he performs a lesbian wedding, and then he says you may kiss the bride. He's trying to talk about diversity, and then he announces that they're a married couple 
and then they perform lewd acts in the video. But the funny thing about that soundbite, I don't know if you noticed, is he says you don't want to have problems like Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens has no problem compared to this guy. Well, and then he says you reflect, you are a reflection on the San Francisco 49ers organization. How do you make this video and not think that it's going to wind up in the hands of the media? I have no idea. Well, and the thing that makes this the absolute king of all caught in the crosslights episodes is that this is from a PR department, the very group, the very people that are trying to put your best foot forward. Right now, Paul Tagliabue is crawled up in a corner sucking his thumb like an infant. (laughs) He I mean, this is about the worst. He's in the fetal position. And the worst thing is that this thing is going to grow legs and run and run forever. This will go down as one of the all-time uh, um, great spoofs or or bloopers in NFL PR history. Well, and anything. Maybe they, just PR history. Well, and a lot of people go to the Internet to see all kinds of fun video. People will be watching this thing on the Internet for oh, I, years. I can tell you that my uh, vast network of PR cohorts, I made sure they saw this video and I sent it to them saying, have you ever seen anything like this in your life? I mean, it, it is astounding. So, again, it's at sfgate.com, and I don't there, know. There's eight different clips that you can watch. Uh, we have to warn you that some of them are offensive both with language and with nudity. I mean, how can you think that you can do nudity in a training video for a team and not get in trouble? Are you kidding me? Now, I will say this. He obviously was playing to his audience, right? I mean, he did show this film to the entire 49er team. And to me, that's the most amazing thing. How did this thing not get out until now? I don't know. I really don't. Because you would think that the players would leave there going, oh, my gosh, we just saw the most unbelievable video, training video that we've ever seen. And that someone would ask about it and that would have gotten out there. But obviously Terry Donahue uh, stuck it to his friend who he thought did him wrong. And uh, now you've got what you've got. Well, that's the whole backstory. So we'll see where this thing goes. Boy, that was funny. You are listening to the 500th episode of Sports Business Radio. Coming up in our next segment, we're going to look back on insightful conversations with Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. And with Portland Trailblazers star Brandon Roy, you're listening to the 500th episode of Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. It's our 500th episode of SBR. Back to Brian on Sports Business Radio. 
you're asking the staff of SBR to look back on the last six years and 500 episodes. What are your thoughts, Nathan Roach? 500 episodes. That's that's amazing. And I, I, I'm happy to have been a part of it in some capacity or another. I know that when Keith was sitting in the seat, I was logging the interviews. I would sit there and handwrite every answer that uh, our guests would have. And we had a great guest, and I'm sure Brian will talk about this. But uh, John McEnroe was our guest. And I remember Berger at the end of the interview getting John McEnroe from his hotel room in Paris at the French Open to sing and play the guitar to Jimi Hendrix's Purple Haze. It was awesome. A little off-key, but surprisingly well for uh, John McEnroe. We've had such great guests on the show, and I, you know, I think we bring some, some interesting perspectives. But then you have icons like Jack Nicklaus on the show who – is I mean, what else can be said about the great golfer? And then, of course, if you don't get a chance to sit in this studio. But there are some fantastic bloopers. And I'm sure at some point during this show, they will play a couple of mine. One in particular, which I'm not going to spoil it now because I don't want to say it again because I sounded like such an idiot. But there were many bloopers, lots of great memories. But uh, certainly Bobby Corser has been a big part of almost every single one of those memories. And uh, we're looking forward to another 500 episodes. Back in 2005, before the NFL draft, we were able to talk to a quarterback who had just starred at Cal and was about to be drafted, and he ended up being drafted by the Green Bay Packers. He's now replaced legendary quarterback Brett Favre as the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. Here's our conversation with Aaron Rodgers prior to the NFL draft back in 2005. Walk us through your decision. You left Cal after your junior year. You're now getting ready for the NFL Combine. How did you make the decision to leave early, and then what have you done between that time and now to prepare yourself for the NFL? Well, the uh, decision to leave was a, a difficult one uh, because I left a lot of friends back at Cal, a great coach, um, and an education. Uh, but uh, it turned out that my, you know, my best interest, my best opportunity, I felt, was to move on and and pursue a career in the NFL, something I'd always wanted to do as a kid growing up, and financially be able to secure my family uh, and my future family for the, uh, you know, it was a big winning decision, I think. Um, but Coach Tefford really encouraged me when I met with him uh, that I didn't know the school anything, that I'd accomplished uh, enough at Cal, and that he he encouraged me to leave and, uh, and pursue a career in the NFL. And uh, it's been crazy. You know, a lot of stuff between that decision, you know, which I made, I think, in January, early January, and right now, I mean, I've hired an agent, I've hired a business manager, uh, just doing a lot of stuff to get ready uh, to put myself in the best situation come April. I mean, I'm working out with a, uh, a great trainer, Peppa Sports and Thomas Witherspoon out in Alameda, California. Uh, there's 15 of us or so getting ready for the combine and working hard. The combine's next, I go next Thursday to Indianapolis. So it's been quite an experience. I've learned a lot and seen a lot of crazy stuff, talked to a lot of people I used to look up to as a kid, and it's been fun. Great insight from Aaron Rodgers prior to the 2005 NFL draft when he was taken 24th overall by the Green Bay Packers. And we all know the rest of the story. He's now replaced Brett Favre, and he's the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. We also had a chance in 2007 to chat with Portland Trailblazers star, and he had just been named Rookie of the Year, Brandon Roy. We're based in Portland. And it's always good to catch up with Brandon Roy. And any time you become a pro athlete and you go from being amateur to pro, it changes your life. So I had a chance to talk to Brandon Roy about how his life changed after he became a pro. 
You know, Brandon, I think many of us underestimate just how much of a culture shock it must be going from being a college kid with some kicking around money to being a pro athlete with millions of dollars, a lot of people wanting your time and your money. How big of a transition is it? I mean, you know, if someone put me in that position and told me tomorrow, hey, you've got a few million bucks, my life would change. How did it change your life with all that responsibility? big transition and more than just the money you, we're now in a position where we're, we're role models and and now we have to become businessmen so a lot of people a lot of people want our time so it's, it's definitely a huge transition and, and sometimes I, I feel sorry for guys who who came out of high school because that's a, a huge transition for them and I think the, the four years at Washington made this transition a lot smoother for me. Brandon, the NFL draft was last weekend. Many of the players talked about rigorous background checks, tests they had to undergo. How rigorous was it for you, or is the NBA background checks not as tough as the NFL ones are? Well, I don't know how tough the NFL is because I haven't been through it, but the, the NFL is just pretty tough. I, every, every visit I, I went on, I had to take a, a, a psychological test. I mean, I'm sitting there for three hours with the doctor, and uh, he's asking me questions about, you know, am I crazy? It's tough to to go through it because I'm like, man, I'm not in this stuff. So you know, just just draft me and let's move on. But uh, you, you understand where they're coming from. I mean, they're they're investing a lot of money in, in, in young kids, and they really want to know who they're putting their money into. So it doesn't bother me now that it's over with. But when I was going through the process, I was like, man, this is a long process. <laughs> what was the craziest thing that you had done during the process there? I mean, maybe the craziest question someone asked you. Uh, I think the craziest is the one where they asked me, uh, "Do I, when I get bored, do I like to set things on fire?" <laughs> <laughs> you got to be kidding me! Yeah, I was like, man, is this, what kind of question is this? But uh, I mean, it's it's a simple answer. I just I took it in stride. I mean, I, I, I laughed and had fun with it. It was it was funny. <laughs> In the summer of 2007, I got to take one of the most memorable trips of my life and definitely the most memorable trip in the last 500 episodes. I went to China, and I had a chance to catch up with Steve Nash as we were driving through the streets of Beijing on the back of our team bus. Here's that conversation. Soccer, as they call it, football, very big over here. I went to Women's World Cup in Shanghai the other night. Uh, I know you have a passion for soccer. Your brother plays soccer. Talk about uh, soccer a little bit. Well, yeah, it's my, it's a huge passion passion of mine. I spend a lot of my uh, downtime watching soccer, and uh, in the summer I play, so it is huge for me. And it's a unique country in, here in China in that respect for me because it's two most popular sports, or my two sports, uh, soccer and basketball. So uh, it's an interesting, you know, I don't know if you want to say coincidence or, or similarity that I share with this country, and uh, that also makes it fun for me. Were you ever uh, close to considering maybe pro soccer over pro basketball? Well, as a kid, for sure. I never played. I didn't play basketball until I was really 13 uh, on a team. So you know, I always wanted to play soccer, and um, you know, but all my friends played basketball when I got to the eighth grade, and I wanted to be with my friends. So I kind of gave soccer up, and you know, I still have a dream of playing pro soccer. That's uh, very childlike, but uh, you know, it, it, sometimes you forget that you're an adult now. So I still have the dream and passion for it, even though I know that it's uh, passed me by. You know, watching you on the basketball court, some of your moves look like they're developed from soccer. Is that true? Definitely. I was uh, influenced incredibly by soccer, and I think my game is, is definitely influenced by soccer. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily take anything from soccer. I consciously put it into my basketball game, but I think just the fact that I 
was born into soccer and played every day as a kid, uh, you know, can't help but influence the way I play basketball. You're incredibly socially responsible. Um, you have clauses in some of your contracts, for instance, with Clearly Canadian, where they give water to, I think, uh, people in Panama. Where did you develop your sense of social responsibility and, I guess, the ability to see beyond yourself? I don't know. It just feels natural and feels right to have a, a sense of the global community. And uh, I, I just it's, it's a personal thing to me, but I feel without sounding cheesy, like somewhat of a citizen of the world. And I think that I can relate to people of all different cultures and understand that we all come uh, in the same form or, or shape with variation. And I feel like we should have that sensitivity for one another and realize that, you know, we're really fortunate for what we're born into. But, you know, it's a very, uh, very fine line whether you're born into you know, a middle-class family in Victoria, British Columbia, or you're born into, you know, poverty and hunger in, um, you know, a countryside town in China. So, um, you know, that's kind of the way I look at things, and I feel like it's important to have that sensitivity towards one another because you could easily be in another man's shoes. Back in 2004, our first year on the air with Sports Business Radio, we had one of those unscripted moments with one of the biggest names in sports, This was John McEnroe from his hotel room in Paris at the French Open. John, we've got time for one more quick question, and we want to end on a a little bit of a lighter note. Uh, Talk about your guitar play a little bit. You've gotten better and better. If you could jam on on a stage with anybody, yesteryear, today, who would that be? Well, that's a tough call. Probably... um... I, you know, I've long known Keith Richards and, and, and would love to be out there with the Rolling Stones. Eddie Van Halen has been someone I was fortunate enough. Can I keep going? Jimi oh. Hendrix would probably be the person if, uh, if he was alive uh, today. But I've actually been lucky that in that I've played with a lot of unbelievable guitarists. Do you have your and, guitar and with the, you? And I'll make a long story short. It's made uh. me appreciate my tennis more. Do you have your guitar with you right now? I actually have my guitar with me right now. And um, Could you I'm, take us out with a little uh, number? Um, sure. You got it. I mean, if you want me to ruin your radio show, oh, no. I'll be more than willing to this do so. This would be I'm priceless. Gonna... <laughs> okay. Well, this is this is going to be an acoustic version Fine. Of, um, of a song. But let's see. What do you want, a heavy metal or like a rock and roll song or yeah, something more mellow? S- Stone, something Keith Richards like is fun. Okay. Let's get, uh, why don't we try a little Jimi Hendrix Purple Haze, okay? Nice. nice. Try to listen carefully. Here we go. That was one of our favorite moments on Sports Business Radio from 2004 with John McEnroe. So you've heard from some of the athletes we've had on this show. Now we're going to hear from some of the key decision makers from the world of sports. That's coming up next on this 500th episode of Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. 
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or or what's bad for the BCS. Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. Five hundred episodes and six years of talking with people who call the shots. Back to Sports Business Radio. We're asking the staff of SBR to look back on the last six years and five hundred episodes. What are your thoughts, Brian Berger? There's so many memories over the last six years that that stand out to me. I obviously remember our first ever show in April of two thousand four with NBA Commissioner David Stern. Great way to kick off the show. Um, like Nathan said, the moment with John McEnroe where he played uh, Purple Haze from his hotel in Paris, that was priceless. I love the interviews with Jack Nicholas. You know, a lot of times in life you meet people and they don't live up to the the pedestal that you put them on. And Jack Nicholas was everything and more. He was such a nice man and, and so humble. And uh, it was really a wonderful opportunity to get to talk to him. Mark Cuban, I thought, was fantastic. Um, Talking to Mark Cuban about selling powdered milk and teaching disco dancing when he was at Indiana University, uh, those are questions and and things that uh, we ask that no one else asks, and and that was really fun. Another tremendous moment for me was when I spent a week in China with Yao Ming and Steve Nash and Kobe Bryant and others, and, and... you heard my conversation with Steve Nash on this show. We were sitting on a bus riding through Beijing having that conversation. Uh, that was a very memorable trip. Lots of iconic moments during that trip. And then I remember back in 2005, you know, we'd only been doing this show for a year. And uh, I remember calling in from a hospital here in Portland the day my daughter was born. And that is a moment that sticks out to me, Keith, and I think, Nathan, you might have been doing the show as well. Obviously, Bobby was involved, and that was the first time I missed an episode of Sports Business Radio. Obviously, it was a life-changing moment, but uh, I'll always remember that day calling in from the hospital where my daughter was born and uh, participating for a few minutes in, in the show. So it's been a wonderful six years. It's been better than I ever could have imagined when we started this show. Um, the people that we've interviewed have been tr- terrific, but the people that I get to work with on a day-in and day-out basis have been even better. So uh, those are my, my memories of uh, 500 episodes of Sports Business Radio. On Sports Business Radio, every week we try and talk to the people living and breathing the sports world, the people making the key decisions. In 2008, shortly after, days after, he had pulled the trigger on one of the biggest trades in NBA history, 
to acquire Shaquille O'Neal from the Miami Heat. I had Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver on. So it was very nice to meet you in person last week down in Phoenix. And lo and behold, uh, shortly after I saw you, the Suns made huge news with the acquisition of Shaquille O'Neal. Now, I hear that this trade was first discussed at the ownership level and that Heat owner Mickey Arison called you. Can you walk us through how this deal materialized? Uh, that's true. I think um, it. Mickey made it clear he wanted to find a good home for Shaq if they were going to do something, and he really appreciated uh, the effort Shaq's given to the Miami Heat and helping them win a championship and wondered if we thought it'd be a good fit and spent some time talking to our coaches and our basketball management staff and spent a few days exploring it and watching tape and decided that we thought it'd be a good move for us and would improve our chances to go farther in the playoffs this year. Yeah, I mean, Shaq's one of the most recognizable athletes on the planet. So this deal isn't just about what he does on the court. It's franchise value and what he does at the box office. I know you said uh, last week you're in the process of season ticket renewals, as many of the NBA teams are. You're going for a 90% renewal rate. You've added courtside seats. How much uh, did the economics of this deal and what Shaq means to the stardom, I guess, of your team? You've already got stars on the team, but Shaq is a, a, a star in his own right. How much did that factor into this decision? You know, to be honest with you, really not a lot. I mean, um, you know, when he came to Miami, uh, they had about 6,000 season tickets sold, and he, you know, helped them sell another 8,000 seats and really reinvigorated the business side of the business. For us, we've we've been sold out for 100 straight games. We've got 15,000 season ticket holders, and this deal was really not a lot about, uh, you know, generating revenue in terms of sales. It was more about, uh, trying to give us that last piece that can help us get over the hump and, and win a championship. Uh, sticking on the impact of Shaq, what has he meant to Jersey sales? Are there any new sponsors, ticket sales? I know you just said you're sold out. Um, you know, future ticket sales, has he had any kind of a measurable impact? Uh, too early to tell. We really um, haven't. I don't think his jerseys have been have been printed. I'm sure they'll sell quite a bit. And um in the press conference he said he's coming out with a new t-shirt 9.99 and i had to tell him we're not going to make any money selling t-shirts at nine dollars <laughs> but uh, he, he's a very personable guy and uh you know people love him and I, i'm sure there'll be plenty of merchandise that's sold but uh at the end of the day that's really not the main focus with him it's it's just trying to get that championship yeah, I mean, that's one of the things so many people spoke about. And listen, we haven't been in the locker room, and I don't know how much time you've spent in the locker room, but chemistry for any team, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, is so important. And you'd heard that the chemistry was beginning to erode a little bit on the team. Shaq's got such a magnetic personality. Isn't that a big part of what he can do to kind of give a lift to this team right now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, he he's won four championships. He's respected by our players. He's a good leader. Uh, he's a good role model, and he will uh, help energize our locker room. I can already see it, you know, with the players uh, kind of being re-energized. And uh, you're right, it is a team game, and the players have to believe in themselves, and they got to believe in every other teammate around them. And as a team, they got to think they can win uh, in order for them to win, and I think this will help us a little bit in that area. In 2007, I had the opportunity to fly down to Los Angeles and spend a few days with the USC football program, and I sat down in the office of then-head coach 
Pete Carroll for this conversation. Last question. Uh, obviously, you've built something very special here. I know you've had uh, opportunities to go back to the NFL. Is this your dream job, or is there something else out there on the horizon that you'd like to do at some point in your career? Well, I don't. I've thought about it a lot and, and had opportunities to you know, entertain the, the ideas of going. The makeup of this job is so unique for me that that I, I don't see anything ever matching it. So, in my mind, I've settled my mind clearly that I'm staying here and I don't want to go anywhere else. That the the makeup is so clean in that it's you know I'm in charge of all phases of it. I run the whole thing. I don't have to you know defer to anybody to 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 make a choice on what's going on here. As long as we stay out of trouble, we're, we have no problems. And so, uh, that's that's a very clean slate for me. And there's 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 too much ownership. There's too much. Uh, uh, kind of leadership already in existence in other other teams in the NFL that you have to deal with, and, and I don't, I, I don't, I know there's no other situation that matches this. So I'm I'm loving it. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm not going anywhere. I've said the same thing for seven years, and I'll get asked the same questions again at the end of this year. And that was Pete Carroll, then the head coach of USC back in 2007. We all know how that story turned out. Pete Carroll is now the executive vice president and head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. He has complete power and autonomy with the Seattle Seahawks. In 2008, quite possibly my favorite interview, someone that I have such respect for and was so pleased to be able to speak with, golf legend and golf architect, Jack Nicklaus. Mr. Nicklaus, there's lots of talk, obviously, about Tiger Woods eventually breaking your record of 18 major championships. Tiger sits at 13 right now as we speak. A remarkable stat that very few people realize is that you finished second 19 times out of the 162 majors you played in. So if you won half of those, you'd have 28 major championships. I think what Tiger's doing is incredible, but, I mean, let's be realistic here. If you had 28 majors, we wouldn't talk about Tiger breaking your record at all. Who faced the stiffer competition, you or Tiger? For my, well, for my vote, you did. Well, thank you. I, but first of all, I failed 19 times then. That's sort of the way I look at it, uh, Brian. I mean, I I got I got beat or I failed 19 times where I where I came close, and I I won 18 times. So, uh, but but you know you, you're going to lose sometimes when you're when you're in contention, and you're going. And I think that the 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 competition that I had, I think there it was very difficult. I mean, and the the reason I think it was difficult is because we had fewer really good players, and but the real but the good players we had all learned how to win. And they'd all won five, six, seven, eight, nine majors. You know, Arnold and Gary and uh, Trevino and Watson. Those guys all knew how to win. If I was, if I slipped up, they were ready to play. Uh, the problem today is that we have we have Tiger, and then we have so many other really, really good players. But there's just not enough. They don't get enough exposure of winning to really uh, feel confident coming down the stretch that they're going to make it happen. So, I, I don't know really how to answer the question properly. Uh, you know, there are probably more good players today, but yet uh, ours had had the experience to learn how to win. So it's just, it's you know, you you, you you don't know really what is right. One of the things that's so different, obviously, today is compared to when you played the prize money. I mean, Tigers made ninety three million dollars on the tour. <laughs> you won one hundred and thirteen tournaments, and you earned a little bit less than six million dollars in your entire career on the tour. Obviously, I would guess you're earning a lot more than that with. Nicholas Design and your other endeavors now, but do you ever look back and just go, gosh, I played in the wrong era. I could be making a lot more money now with 113 victories. Well, I think Ben Hogan actually looked like he thought maybe he played in the wrong era. Yeah, no kidding. His, his total, I think his total lifetime earnings were like 241000 Wow. 
So, I mean, if you really look at that, I mean, it's just times change. And, you know, I'm, what I look at is I think that the kids today are really blessed. They have the opportunity to play golf for a living. And we played golf and had to be successful so we could go make a living. You know, I mean, with outside things, you never made a living on a golf course when we played. Right. And today the kids can actually play play golf and, and, and don't have to do anything else. They can play golf and make a living. That's And I think that's neat. And we were the forerunners of that. We, uh, you know, the group in front of us, the the the, the, uh, the Hogan's and the Nelson's and the Sneed's uh, were the forerunners of that. And then we came in and then we were the ones that started to get it to the next level. And then Tiger and his group are taking it to the next level. And I think it's, I think it's great for the game. Obviously, you've played the game of golf all your life. Uh, you've been there with golf during some incredibly joyous moments like we discussed with the 1986 Masters, but golf has been an outlet for you for some incredibly somber moments as well. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? Well, I think the game the game is a, a game that you, you, you get out of it what you put into it. And you get, uh, uh, you, know, you, you, get, you develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody, you get to know them pretty well. In 2006, we had one of the more polarizing figures on in the world of sports, someone who's very outspoken, and it was while his Dallas Mavericks were in the NBA Finals against the Miami Heat, the Mavericks ended up losing that series. But Mark Cuban gets asked a lot of the same questions, and one of the things I tried to do was prepare myself for this interview and come up with a few questions that I didn't think he'd been asked before. Time for two more questions, and I know you're going to love this one. If you were the NBA commissioner for a day, what would you change? I'd increase the marketing budget by 50% or more. I think, you know, in this era of entertainment, we all recognize that, that basketball, the NBA, is, is entertainment first and foremost, and you have to get out there and really market it. I think the folks that are marketing the World Cup, you're seeing those World Cup ads everywhere, and they're doing a great job, yet... Here we are with the NBA Finals even closer, and you're not seeing near the, the visibility of promotion as, as you do at the World Cup. And I think that's, where, that's not one of our strong points. We're better than we used to be, but not nearly as good as we could be. So my last question, our crack research staff tells me that in your early business career, uh-huh. you worked as a garbage bag and powdered milk salesman, and you even taught disco dancing uh-huh. lessons, which was the harder sales job. Powdered milk, I failed. <laughs> you know what? I thought people would give up a little bit on taste to save enough money. No, saving 40 cents on a gallon of milk or 30 cents on a gallon of milk it wasn't enough incentive to taste to drink nasty milk. So uh, I learned my lesson. And the disco lessons, hell, I take that job back in a minute. <laughs> Given dance lessons to, to sorority girls for 25 bucks an hour. Were you wearing like the Travolta getup to you? No. What, what did you wear when you're teaching the disco lesson? Oh, just your basic, you know, T-shirt and, and jeans and that type no of stuff. No sequins, nothing like that? No, 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 no. <laughs> it, was, it, it was more about getting paid to, to, you know, forget the disco. I would teach them how to slow dance as much as I could. <laughs> That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> yeah. And that was Mark Cuban, Dallas Mavericks owner, before he appeared on Dancing with the Stars. A little prelude to that. Coming up in our final segment, our very first guest on Sports Business Radio. You'll hear a clip from him. You're listening to the 500th episode of Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. 
Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Well, I'm dusting off my golf clubs and looking forward to enjoying the gorgeous Oregon summer weather on the golf course. Like many of you, I'm on a budget. I want to tee it up when it's convenient for my schedule, and I enjoy playing golf courses that deliver a private golf club experience. That's why I want to tell you about the Ghost Pass at Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club. The Ghost Pass is Oregon's premier frequent player program that allows you to play the world-renowned Ghost Creek Golf Course for over half off of the regular greens fees. And with your Ghost Pass, you can make your tee times 14 days in advance. The Ghost Pass program sets itself apart by offering a competitive tournament program, which includes one exclusive Ghost Pass event at Witch Hollow. The Ghost Pass is available for only $150, and here's the best part. When you sign up for the Ghost Pass, you'll receive a complimentary round of golf valued at $150. So you literally can't lose when you purchase the Ghost Pass. Go online to pumpkinridge.com and sign up for the Ghost Pass today. I'll see you on the links. We're back with the 500th episode of Sports Business Radio. And one of the things I've always tried to do over the years is get our guests talking about topics that they normally wouldn't talk about. You just heard Mark Cuban talking about powdered milk and teaching disco dancing lessons. Well, back in 2006, I talked the Academy Awards with Commissioner... David Stern. Well, my last question, I like to end with a fun question, so hopefully you'll enjoy this one. Tomorrow, we have the Academy Awards. I don't know if you've had much time to go out and see any movies. Do you have any uh, predictions for best picture out there? Uh, it's a tough one. You know, I, I haven't seen them all. I've seen Brokeback Mountain and uh, Good Night and Good Luck. Um, and I thought that, uh, you know, Good Night and Good Luck was uh, was the better of the two, although I enjoyed Brokeback as well. Uh, but I heard great things about Crash and Munich, and I'm drawing a blank on what the fifth one is. So I think it's Walk the Line. Oh. The Johnny Cash what, story. You know what? I saw Walk the Line. I think it's an extraordinary movie. Uh, you know, I, 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 the ones I saw, any one of them were, you know, that, they were great. I, I really, uh, the, the, the job that those two did singing, and I understood they never sang together before or sang separately before. Uh, you know, it's a tough call. I but I also very much enjoyed Good Night and Good Luck as well. So, uh, and that's wholly apart from the fact that Mark Cuban was one of its producers. I did not know that. You're scooping us on that, Commissioner Stern. Thank you as always for making time for us, and uh, good luck the rest of the season. Thank you very much, Brian. Well, that's a wrap. That's our 500th episode of Sports Business Radio. We talked to the people that call the shots in the world of sports. You heard from many of them on this show, some of our favorite clips looking back on 500 episodes. It's also the last episode for our executive producer, Bobby Corser. Bobby will be with us on our local show, but he's leaving us on our national show. Bobby, uh, can't say thank you enough for all the work that you've done over the last 500 episodes. It's been a lot of fun. Well, Brian, you're very welcome, and thank you for allowing me to uh, produce 500 episodes of a very good award-winning show. Thank you, and... uh, Glad that we're still going to be working together on our local show in Portland. Lots of thank yous. Nathan Roach, of course, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Doug Zanger, and Brian Griggs, our sponsors, the Warsaw Center, and New School Media Coaching. Get us on podcasts. Follow us on Twitter. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page or follow me at SB Radio. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week on Sports Business Radio.
is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com.